as we journey through the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. We'll pick it up in verse 20 through 37 today. Luke 17, verse 20. Now, when he had a- was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered and said unto them, The kingdom of God does not come with observation. Nor will they say, see here or see there, for indeed the kingdom of God is within you. And when he said this to the disciples, the days will come when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, but you will not see it. And they will say unto you, look here or look there, do not go after them or follow them, for as lightning that flashes from one part under heaven shines to the other part under heaven, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man. Let's pray. Lord, we just ask that you just bless our time today. In your word, Lord, those watching us on the internet or over the radio, and Lord, we thank you for the technology. We ask that it would work properly. Lord, that our hearts would be open to what you would have for us, Lord, through this section of Scripture. We thank you, Lord, that we live in a time in which we see prophecy fulfilled. And so let it stir our hearts for the coming of the Son of Man. Speak to us now, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as we go through this section, I I just want to say this right off because you might uh, be tempted into thinking that I'm going to dive deep into prophecy. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to wait until uh, Jesus... uh, talk specifically in Luke about that. So that's coming up in the next couple of weeks. We'll talk a little bit about that. But the the text of this, which is easy to get lost into Noah and Lot and what was going on in their day, it's real easy to get lost in that. What you need to understand is the context of it is the beginning of this section is that the kingdom of God is within you. And it, it is this, the kingdom of God is not some outward thing, it is a transformation of the inward man. Amen? Got that? See you next week. That literally is what the entire section is about. That's the context of it. And we can get bogged down in Lot. I have done it. I've taught it this way before. We could get bogged down in Noah, and we, we're going to talk a little bit about that. We're going to talk about Lot's wife. It's real easy to do that. But seriously, the context of that is simply this. Is there a transformation going on in your life? That's what Jesus is requiring. The kingdom of God, you want to be a part of that? Okay, well, let's do an inner change of the outward man. And so, now when he was asked by the Pharisees, Notice their, resp- or their question, when the kingdom of God would come. Now, they're all wanting the kingdom of God to come. Anybody know why? I heard over here. The, the Romans are controlling them. They're not a nation like King David. They don't have sovereignty. And so they want to know, when are we getting back to the days of King David? King Solomon, when are we going to be a sovereign nation again? So that's on the forefront of their minds. And you need to remember that as we go through the Gospels. That's what they're thinking. When are you going to kick the Romans out? And because Jesus never said that he was going to, they, they, they're just like Charlie Brown's teacher. Okay, well, whatever else you say doesn't matter because our number one thing is Romans out dead and then whatever you say. 
But because he didn't come the first time to be the lion of the tribe of Judah, he came to be the, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. They were missing that. So as you see, Jesus is in his three-year ministry, and they keep bringing up this, we're under oppression. When are you going to take care of the Romans? Now, I'm not justifying the religious leaders, but you can understand how they're not getting it. Amen? It's kind of like the church when we're here and we see all this debauchery going on and craziness, and we go, why are we still here? Thank you. Someone else was thinking the same thing. Have you thought of that, Lord? Why haven't you come yet? Because there's still more people that need to come into the kingdom. Amen? People still need to be saved, and I'm glad for that, even though it's tiring to live here. So, that's what he is addressing. Everybody understand that? Again, context is everything as we teach here at Calvary Chapel, Myrtle Beach. And so, he wants us to know that context is the kingdom of God, as we will see, is inside. It's a transformational change. He said the kingdom of God does not come by observation, which means you cannot see it operating the way that we would think that it would operate. How many of you ever thought the church should be doing this or the church should be doing that and, and it's not some necessarily outward thing? It really is an individual life being changed. It is an individual life seeing God do a work in their life, an individual serving, an individual, and then coming together as the body of Christ to further that kingdom. Notice with me in, in verse 21, he says, Nor will they say, see here or see there, for indeed the kingdom of God is within you. Again, when Jesus is speaking about the kingdom of God, it is internal, not external, if you want to write that note down. That's what he is trying, and he has been trying to communicate that to these Jews for three straight years, but everything to them is external, isn't it? Their robes, their phylacteries, the boxes, all that they do is everything is external. It's all religion, but it's not a relationship with God. And he again stops them and says, stop looking at the external and start focusing on the internal Start dealing with sin in your, before you look at your brother's speck in his eye. You see, it's this theme that he teaches us over and over, dealing with our own self. How many of you love to deal with your own life? No, you love to deal with somebody else's because it's much easier to criticize them than to deal with your own life. All right, let's, amen, see you next week. I mean, I feel like that's it. That's all we could do today. We don't want to deal with ourselves. We don't want to deal with our own problems. We want to deal with the failures of other. And it is no different in our day than in Jesus' day. And he's trying to tell them and us, that's not the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is working on yourself and your relationship with God, your sin. Stop trying to fix other people. Fix yourself. How many of you are a mess today? How about a hot mess? Woo! Some of you are lying. You're a hot mess. And rather than dealing with your own stuff, 
You just want to deal with somebody else, a co-worker or your spouse or your kid. Knock it off. The kingdom of God is within you internally. Work on that. Work on you running your own race, Paul the apostle would tell us. So Jesus is telling them, deal with your own sin, verse 22. And then he said to his disciples, so he, again, gets these questions from the religious leaders. He says something to them. Then he focuses and pivots right back to his guys. And he says, the days will come when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, but you won't see it. Uh, the translation of this is this, simply, hey, I'm going to leave, and he's going to tell us he's going to suffer and die for the sins of all the world. He's going to be resurrected. He's going to be around planet Earth for about 40 days, but then he will be gone. And he's making a point. Listen, there's coming a day when you're going to need to have a real relationship with me internally and not touch me physically. Got that? What did he say to Mary <laughs> coming out of the tomb? Mary, stop holding on to me because I, I'm not yet done. I haven't accomplished what I need to accomplish. We want to touch that which we can see. But that's not how this relationship works. He says to them, there's a day coming when you will long to see me again. Verse 23, and they will say, look here, or look there, but don't go after them or follow them. For as the lightning flashes out of the one part of heaven, uh, shines to the other part of heaven, so also will the Son of Man be. Uh, Matthew describes it as the, the lightning that goes from the east is to the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. But he says, look here or look there. You see, um, Satan knows how to take advantage of longing. You see, Jesus will depart these disciples. He will depart from the church. And right about now, we're running around 2,000 years since Jesus has left. There is a longing for to be with Jesus, and Satan knows how to take advantage of that longing. There would be many that would be that would claim to be Messiah who would come after Jesus. And for the last 2,000 years, people have stood up and claimed to be Messiah. Uh, Feinberg, who is a, a Jewish Christian scholar, said that in the course of Israel's history, since the time of, of our Lord, 64 different individuals uh, uh, claim to be Messiah. 64 in 2,000 years have claimed it. You would think that number would be a lot higher. Um, the last one recently we would, we would recognize as David Koresh, claimed to be Messiah, um, or Jim Jones. <laughs> Woo, that guy, freak. <laughs> I mean, claimed to be Jesus as well, took so many people uh, down into Guyana, and over a 1,000 people committed suicide with this Messiah. Woo, I want to join that crazy group. And what he says is, because Satan knows how to pull at our emotions very well, by the way, government knows how to do that as well, pull on emotions, we have to be smarter than that. And he's going to tell us what we would expect uh, as Jesus is approaching because he says in verse 24, 
as lightning that flashes from one part of heaven and shines to the other part of heaven, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. The return of Jesus will be seen by all just as a lightning flashes from the sky. Now, let me, let's pause a second here and let's get into some timeline for his prophetic, uh, our prophetic timeline. Now, this section of scripture here, Jesus is speaking specifically of the second coming. Okay, let's break this down. We've got the first coming of Jesus. We are reading that now. This is the Gospels, right? Then there is the second coming. But in between the first and second coming, which sometimes doesn't make sense to a whole lot of people, but it does, is the rapture of the church. It is the taking or the removing of the bride of Christ out of the way. Jesus, nowhere in this section is talking about that event, the rapture of the church. He is talking about the second advent or the second coming of Jesus. Are you confused? If you're not, if you are, well, if you're not, good. If you are, you can go through our Thessalonian series, which we just did. It's all up on YouTube. You can watch that, and then we will lay out the prophetic uh, calendar for you during that time and what that looks like. But you need to understand this. This is where it gets confusing for a lot of believers. The first coming of Jesus, the second coming of Jesus, and in between that is the taking away of the church. Remember, we are the bride of Christ, and we have a marriage supper of the Lamb to go go to. We don't need to be beat up by the tribulation, as some people claim the church will go to. I mean, think about that. Would you beat up your bride before the wedding feast? I mean, we laugh about that, right? But that's what some people teach in the church, that the church will go through the tribulation and we will... No, that's not what it says at all. It says that we will be removed before the wrath of God is poured upon this Christ-rejecting world. So, let me play this out a little bit more. I'm watching my time because it's real easy for me to... Micah, make some notes. Maybe we'll talk about this today on uh, a roundtable chat. So he says that everyone will see this event for the lightning that flashes. So the second coming coming of Jesus will be visible by all. The rapture of the church will not be visible by all. It will be by those who are the bride of Christ and who have accepted Jesus today or before that event. And then at some point, 1 Thessalonians 4, the trumpet will blow. Your name will be specifically called out and you will be snatched up, caught up to meet the Lord in the air and thus we shall ever be with the Lord. Comfort one another with these words. Amen? That's how Paul says it. Comfort. Be comforted that we're taking you out of the way before all hell breaks loose on planet Earth. That's called comfort. Stay in here when all hell breaks loose is not comfort. You got that? Sometimes when we look at the Bible, we should really look at it in a logical way because the other way doesn't make sense. That's not comfortable that I'm staying through this. No, he takes us out of the way. So that's why this section of Scripture is talking about the second coming, which is after that seven-year period of tribulation. And we will be coming back with Jesus. It says, riding on Horses, or yeah, white horses, so please learn how to ride a horse now. Don't fall off, and I'll be like, Lord, I 
They're from Calvary Chapel, Wilmington. I don't know who they are. Notice with it, he comes back. He brings them back in verse 25, and he says, but first, before any of this happens, before any of the future events happen, he said, but first he, that's the Savior, must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. And then he says, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. For they ate, they drank, they married wives and were given into marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, as it was in the days of Lot, they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, and they built. But on that day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroy them all. Even so it will be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. And in that day, he who is on the housetop and his goods are in the house, let him not come back down and take them away. And likewise, the one who is in the field, let him not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Got it? Clear? <laughs> let me start with verse 31 and then I'll come back. There's a re- Listen. This doesn't apply to the rapture of the church. How do I know that in verse 31? Who in the world, when the rapture of the church is happening, say, oh, Lord, I need to go get my coat? Are you kidding me? Who needs a coat in heaven? You don't need your stuff in heaven. He's not talking about that. He's talking about the other. So (laughs) let's turn back. Let's go to Noah. Let's go to Lot. As it is in the days... Of Noah, so it will be in the coming of the Son of Man. So Jesus here is going to use two Old Testament events to illustrate the certainty and the suddenness of his coming. He's going to use the flood, and then he's going to use Sodom and Gomorrah. In both examples, the people of the world were caught unprepared as they engaged in their everyday activities. They were eating and drinking, marrying, buying, and selling. They were going through their normal day. Now, what I find interesting, and and hold on for a minute as I take you on this path. So, let's go prophetically. So, we're here in our time. At some point, the rapture of the church will take place. The church will be gone. It will usher in either a war between the Russians and an Islamic federation against Israel. We will either see that battle take place or the beginning of that, but the end of that battle, the Antichrist will come in and he will broker peace between the Arabs and Israel starting that seven-year tribulation period. The church is gone at that point. Now, other people will come to a saving knowledge of Jesus during that time, but they will have to, live the, they will have to lose their life for the testimony of Jesus. So there are saints during that time, but we're talking about the church who was taken out of that. And during that time, again, uh, the book of Revelation will be played out in a, I don't know how many months it's going to take to finish this book, but when we're done in Luke, we'll be going into Revelation. We'll be able to see what God's going to do through that seven-year period. But what I find interesting is this verse, because he's talking about in Noah's day and in Lot's day, And it was the -the run-of-the-mill, everyday, it is normal day. 
But if you look at the seven-year period of tribulation, it's not really normal, is it? And yet it is normal. Did that make sense? Did I blow anybody's mind? It's normal, but it's not normal. So in the chaos of the church of, let's just call it 300 million people disappearing off, off planet Earth, the church is gone, and then there's this economic boom because everything is left and homes are left, and now everybody gets a home and a car and a dog. Your dog will not be going to heaven with you, sorry. Oh, sadness. But you won't care, you'll be in heaven. So don't worry about that. No pain, no suffering, no Fido. So now the world has gone through this economic boom. Oh, no, the the Antichrist is there, and God's judgments are being poured upon the world. It's starting, and it's going to your forehead. You cannot buy or sell. You know, the things about COVID are very interesting. We are being programmed that, um, well, masks are good, and so... Uh, thermometers are good, so we just point the thermometer at your head, and people are being programmed now to think that scanning of their head is a normal thing. It's crazy, isn't it? In order to, listen, I'm not sure how far they're going to take it. I'm not sure they can, I mean, they can do whatever they want here, but they were talking early on during COVID that If you wanted to fly anywhere in the world, you had to have proof that you got the vaccination. Basically, they're saying, you cannot go travel without our card. It's programming people to say, listen, if I don't have this from the government, I can't really uh, buy and sell and do commerce. COVID is wonderful. Uh, Nine months after. Because from a prophetic view, it is setting everything up in line. This world is full of sheep. And all they want is security and safety. And I look at people with masks and cars and go, I just want to help you. I want to pull you over and I want to give you a hug and I want to burn that. And tell you you're in a car. Wait till we see some guy fishing in his own boat in Merle's Inlet with a mask on. Don't you want to just go over them and say, you're, you're being used? You're, you're, can I hug you? But guys, this is all being set up. And, what I, and I, this is a long way around my point is that during the tribulation, it's chaotic. And yet there's some normalcy in the tribulation period to those who are left. Because once they get their mark, once they make an allegiance to Antichrist, then they're going to go about their normal way of life while meteors are falling and crashing to this world, why one-third of the sea will be killed, why one-third of the water on planet Earth will not be drinkable. Yet it says they're going about their normal life. Isn't that amazing? And as I was looking at this, Over the week, it really dawned on me. It's like, I've never really seen that before. Like, in the midst of crazy that you could still live a normal life-ish in their mind. Oh, yeah, there's like two angels flying around the earth. There's there's Moses and Elijah in Israel, and they're 
Yeah, that's normal. That's what they're going to think. <laughs> so in Noah's day, right, you have exceeding violence. You have population explosion. You have every thought in the intent of people's heart are evil. That, to me, describes what the tribulation will be. Um, verse 27 notice that they ate they drank they married they were given into marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all again the Bible tells us that Noah was a preacher of righteousness and he did that for over 100 years and no one listened for 100 years Noah was building a giant boat in his backyard Apparently, there were no HOAs. (laughs) You who live in an HOA, you're like, I know. (laughs) That guy would have got fined. (laughs) Think about that. He's there for 100 years working with his three boys on a boat. People, there had never, it had never rained before. They don't know what a boat is. You got to put it in context. We read this. We know all about Noah. It's easy. They didn't know anything about that. So when he says it's going to flood, they go, what's a flood? We've never seen anything like that before. But he's telling them, the Bible says he was a preacher of righteousness as he is hammering away, as he is building this, he's telling people to repent, to turn or burn or turn or drown. And yet, when the rain starts, something that they'd never seen before, and God, it says, shut the door, he shut the door. Noah did not. That it was, they had lost their opportunity. Guys, there is an opportunity to come in to the ark. And there's a time when God will shut the door. The Bible says, my spirit will not always strive with men, says the Lord. He gives you the opportunity. You're listening today on the radio or online. Today is the day to give your heart to the Lord, not when all of these things transpire. Well, when I see these things happen and I'll get right with the Lord. No, you won't because it's easy now. Then you will have to lose your head. Noah and his family also teaches us that you can be one of only eight people on planet Earth who are the sane ones. You can be one of only eight people on planet Earth that gets what God is doing. The majority is not always right. And in this case, eight people were right. Billions of other people were wrong. Don't... I don't know about you, but I love being in the minority. It's frustrating sometimes. (laughs) Uh, But I know that like in Noah's uh, day, God's going to take care of us. He's going to protect us. So they were eating and drinking and marrying all the while that this boat is being built. And all the while, people are telling them that the judgment of God is coming. How many thousands of years has the world been told that the judgment of God is coming? And they look at it, and Peter says, you've been saying that since the fathers have come. Where is the coming of your Messiah? Well, he's coming. And the events that we see on planet Earth 
it, it shows us even more. It's the shadow of what's coming. He is coming. And listen, even if he doesn't come in the next five years or before November 3rd, I'm just saying, if he's taken any suggestions, I don't know if my heart can handle that day. I think I just want to turn off, go have IHOP and just go to sleep, right? Because you have like a stack of pancakes and you're in a coma. Thank you for getting that. But we've been telling people, and this is what's going to happen. Your coworker in that, that booth next to you or wherever they are, one day you're not going to be at work. They're going to hear thousands of planes crashed. They're going to hear that the world is in an uproar, that nuclear weapons have been detonated around the planet. Their world is going to implode. But they're going to hear you in their head. Amen? <laughs> and that Bible that's in your, on your desk, they're going to open that. People were banging on that door of the ark. I, I, I don't know how Noah got through those first couple of hours hearing that. But he'd done what God had called him to do. By the way, we won't hear anything. We'll be in the presence of the Lord. Well, let's get to Lot because, man, this guy, he's crazy. Likewise, also in the days of Lot. They ate, they drank, they bought, they sold. Notice, they planted, they built homes, they started businesses, they were farming, they were going about their normal day of life. But on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. And yeah, it's easy to look at Sodom and Gomorrah for their debauchery, but it said they had an idleness of hands and an abundance of food. We live in that world today, especially in the United States of America. We live in an age of comfort. And if, listen, we do. The poorest of the poor in our country still live better than those around the world. Trust me, I've seen it. <laughs> Places around the world don't have food stamps. They don't have food kitchens to go down and get something even if you are poor and you need the food. Other countries don't have that. People just step over bodies in India and Nepal. Huh? Karma, that's what they believe. And so, Lot, he ate and he drank. These in this city. But on that day that Lot went out of... Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. What I find interesting about Lot's life is that it says that he moved to the plains of Sodom and Gomorrah. And by the way, the Bible says the plains of Sodom and Gomorrah were the most lush of the day. It was the best place to live. It was the central valley of California, of Israel. It was so beautiful. That's why he moved there. But after, it became a desolate. You go to Israel with us today, the southern portion of the Dead Sea is there because of Sodom and Gomorrah. There is nothing there, but nothing. There are chemicals, there's a, some chemical plants there, and there's the Dead Sea as a result of that. 
But as Lot pitched his tent in front of Sodom, then he moved into Sodom, then he made money and he was successful in Sodom and he became a leader in Sodom and he sat at the city gate of Sodom. But it says that he was righteous. In heaven, we'll have to talk to him about it because it's hard for me to believe that he is righteous knowing what he did and how he wanted to give his daughters to the crowd, the rioting crowd. Oh, wait, they were peaceful, peaceful protesters. They just didn't know it. And at some point, it, the Bible says that Lot's soul was vexed because of what he saw. But Lot was, notice, pulled out. In that day that Sodom, uh, that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone and destroyed them all. The angels, guys, think about this. The angels had to drag Lot and his family out by the hand. How in the world is Lot righteous in that? I don't know. I have no answer. All I know is he was pulled. He was getting singed on the way out. What does that tell us? It tells us that there will be believers who just by the grace of God only, woo! Like in heaven, you're going to see there'll be like a little burnt mark right there. Just, just got out, didn't you? Yep, look, beanie hat. I'm in. Great. But nothing else in their life was sent forward. It was all spent in Sodom. Are we spending our resources just in Sodom and Gomorrah where we live? Or are we sending them ahead? Jesus has already talked about this before. Even so it will be, verse 30, in the day in which the Son of Man is revealed. Again, people will be living their life even under the most extreme conditions of the tribulation with the Antichrist, Satan himself ruling on planet Earth. And when Jesus shows up, it's going to blow people's mind. And then in a minute, we're going to see he's going to divide them. He's going to take some over to judgment as he divides the sheep and the goats. But notice with me, in that day, he who was on the housetop and his goods are in the house, let him not come down and take them away. And likewise, one who is a field, not go back. Why? Because it is now God is pouring his judgment for the last time on planet earth here during the seven-year period. And now Christ himself, <laughs> listen, I can't wait to just be on the horse. I, I'm just excited kind of thing. And when we're coming back and it says that Jesus puts his foot on the Mount of Olives and it splits in two, the whole world is going to see him coming and us coming with him. What is that going to look like? Don't you want to have like some guy on planet Earth with like a GoPro seeing that image? You're like, What? You mean those Christians were telling the truth the entire time? Absolutely we were. And so he, look, the point of verse 31 is that at, one, at some point, stuff will mean nothing to anybody. Your car, your home, your flat panel, screen, your whatever, will, dare I even say, sorry, your dog, your, it will mean nothing 
Because the only thing that matters in this universe is that man coming. That's all that matters. And the church forgets that, and the world rejects that. And Jesus is telling us to have a right perspective. Notice the next three words. Remember Lot's wife, because everything is perspective. Why does he want us to remember Lot's wife? I don't. Do you know what happened to Lot's wife? She turned into a pillar of salt. Although Lot's wife was taken almost by force. Again, remember the angels dragging them out. Notice that she was pulled out by force of Sodom, but her heart remained in the city. This was, this was indicative by the fact that she had turned back. She was out of Sodom, but Sodom was not out of her. And believers are no different today. Is the world out of you? Or are you still longing for those things like Lot's wife? That's why Jesus so powerfully says, don't be Lot like Lot's wife. Again, as a result, God destroyed her by turning her into a pillar of salt. In just three words, our Lord gives us this warning, and this warning has been inside of the church for 2,000 years. Remember Lot's wife. Why should we remember her? The question might be, because she was almost saved. Hit anybody? Almost. Didn't cut it. She turned back. So this is why it's so powerful, because she was almost saved, and yet she was lost for eternity. She was a wife of a godly man. She had entertained angels. She had no <laughs> She had no excuse. She had any, anybody else seen, entertained two angels lately? And if you have, I want to talk to you privately. But I've entertained two angels. She's seen it. She had no excuse. She was in the way of being saved. She was pulled out. She had an opportunity, and yet she was lost. After she had left Sodom, her heart was still there. She had never taken her true place before God, and when Sodom went down, she went down with it. Because although she might have claimed to be a believer, she wasn't a believer. This is a powerful word from Jesus, which says, there are those in the church who claim and yet will not be. Will he not say at some point as people come up, Lord, didn't I say, Lord, Lord, in your name and cast out demons in your name? And he will say, depart from me, for I never knew you. You're like Lot's wife. You never got the world out of you. We may well remember Lot's wife, especially in applying this to our own life and in the Christian homes. Listen, inside of Christian homes who have godly parents, who have heard the word all of their lives and whom the Spirit of God has strived, and yet inside of their hearts, the kids still say, I like Sodom. 
Remember, one may be almost saved, but lost for all eternity. There is nobody in Scripture like Lot's wife. Does everybody get that? There was no, she is the one great example. And by the way, if you look at the, the, the whole account of Lot and you put it all together, you don't hear anything about Lot's wife, do you? In, in the narrative at all. You don't hear, you hear that um, Lot is doing the feeding and the entertaining of the angels. We don't hear anything about Lot's wife. We don't hear that she is a godly example. We don't hear anything of her in the New Testament about that. It's only Lot. It's like Lot married a pagan from Sodom and Gomorrah. Because nowhere do we read that when Abraham left Ur of the Chaldees and Lot, his nephew, went with him, we read nowhere where there's a wife. Could very well be that he got a wife when he was in Egypt or back here in Sodom and Gomorrah. What does that tell us even more? Don't be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. I I don't mean to say it this way and be harsh, but Lot, what do you expect when you marry a pagan? You expect her to long for the things of the world, not for the kingdom of God. And so you will always have an opposing opinion of what you will do financially and what you will do with the children. And there will always be a problem. That's why God says to his kids, don't do it. Don't be stupid and marrying a pig, but you don't know how they are. You don't know their family. I could care less. All that matters is do they have Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and not an Easter Christmas Christian a believer who you don't have to tell to go to church. Ladies, you date someone, marry somebody, and if that man does not, if he's not in church every Sunday, he's not going to be in church every Sunday when you marry him. You're not all of a sudden going to get him Christianized. That's the fallacy of that. Oh, he'll become, no, he won't. He may, and 1 Corinthians 7 says that, it may happen that you might win him over, but the reality is not. Wouldn't you rather have and marry a leader who is already in the church, who goes to church, no one has to tell him to go to church, or vice versa, that female, don't you want to see her in church, serving church? That's the catch, not this. Not how many likes they have on Instagram or Facebook or whatever tweets they have. This is what the world poses as important, and God says no. And I look at Lot, and I say, man, you blew it. Oh, he made it uh, barely with his two daughters, which we're not even going to get into that and how wrong later on that becomes. But he says in verse 34, as he Uh, as we end. He says, I tell you that in the night there will be two. Please note with me men, and then we will see women and men are in italics. They were added by the translators. It doesn't need to be added by the translators, so don't. (laughs) There will be two in one bed. One will be taken, the other will be left. Two will be grinding together. The one will be taken, the other be left. Two will be in the field, one will be taken and the other left. Now, that's why people think that this is speaking about the rapture of the church because, look, it'll be a taken. It means 
a, a couple of things. It means to judgment as well, to be removed from and taken unto judgment. But it simply just tells us God knows whose is his. It's real easy for him to know that. And then can you imagine these <laughs> apostles at this point? They're like, Lord, you, you got to stop teaching this because my mind hurts. Look at their, they answered him and said, where, Lord? <laughs> where? And he said to them, Who, uh, wherever the body is, the eagle will be gathered together. Oh, yeah, that was clear. Don't be afraid to say it like that. Look, have you read the Bible? I have no idea what he just said. And I, I guarantee you those 12 just went, where did the eagle come into? <laughs> That's why I like these 12, because they're just like us. Like, we don't get a word he just said until the Holy Spirit filled them in Acts chapter 2. And even after that, they didn't get it. But it was a little bit better. So don't be afraid of verse 37. But look, it's not a salvation issue. Don't worry about it. Put it in the file for need more information. Jesus pictured civilization at the end as a rotting corpse <laughs> that would one day be ripe for judgment. The discerning believer sees the evidence of this on his own and realizes that in the days of Noah and the days are Lot are soon, are they not? We would agree that both of these days are before us. But they've been before us for a while now. I would say past 1950, we've, we've been living in the days of Noah and Lot. Now, that's a long period of time, and Christ hasn't come yet, Right? Our Lord can return for his church at any time. So we're not looking for signs, but we're looking for the coming events. It's like the preview. It's the trailer that you see before the movie, and you go, wow, you get a little bit of hint of what's coming in the film. We're seeing the coming attractions. We're seeing the trailer of the tribulation period. And as many... Uh, I'm sorry, as we see many of these things begin to take place, we know, again, Jesus' return is soon. So the question is, are we looking for his return, and do we really want to see him come? Or do we want to be like Lot's wife? She was pulled out and yet didn't get in. She was so close and yet perished. Because she longed for, are you ready for it? The things of this world that will all burn. That's hard to reconcile sometimes. Uh, especially like we're doing work at Camp Arrowwood and uh, praise the Lord, we just got concrete poured in the barn and it's done and, and uh, we'll show you some images of that and, and how wonderful things are going there. But in my mind, I got to think, this is hard for me to reconcile. Everything that we're doing up there will all be burned up. Well, how do you continue? Well, because Jesus said to occupy until I come. Let me say it this way. Build a youth camp until I come. Okay. That's what we're doing. But it's all going to burn up. And if you know that, 
then you have a light grasp on the things of this world. Then the things of this world don't matter as much as a relationship with God in heaven. Isn't that great? Even the relationships you and I have on planet earth don't mean as much as our relationship with God in heaven. Remember, it's God, (laughs) then our relationships, and then work, and then stuff is way down here. Are you wanting to see the coming of Jesus Christ? Or are you longing like Lot's wife? That is a great question to ask everybody in the room. Are you so close and yet so far? Have you kind of escaped and yet ultimately you will not see Jesus? Make it today that you're firm in your knowledge of Jesus Christ and where you will spend eternity. Let's pray. Father, thank you for an amazing section of Scripture, Lord. Thank you for the examples of Noah and Lot. Things aligning. We see the, the players on the board getting ready. We see the technology coming into place. But, Lord, that we continue to occupy until we come. We, we continue to live our life for you and to share Jesus with all we come in contact with. Thank you, Lord, for the example of Lot's wife. How powerful it is to remember Lot's wife. Lord, remove Sodom from our hearts. Remove the things of the world so that we would focus on you. That the kingdom of God, Lord, is not some outward experience, but it's an inward change of our heart that we would continue to focus on, in on ourself rather than trying to fix other people. And so, Lord, we thank you for our day. Thank you for the rain. And we ask, Lord, that you would be with this nation for the next week. And, Lord, we, we just pray for safety for all of the officials, for the president, for the vice president, Lord, for for former Vice President Joe Biden as well as Senator Harris, Lord, we, we pray no ill will. We pray that they would receive Jesus. We want everybody to be saved. On It doesn't matter what side of the aisle they are on. And so, Lord, we just pray for the safety of our nation. And we thank you for this nation that you have given us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand.